I do want to introduce myself. My name is James Weishar, and my wife Stephanie here, and uh, we are uh, missionaries with Disciple Nations, and we serve locally here in Wichita and in the Middle East, and uh, we, our hearts are just to really just to engage people with, with the person of Jesus and, and stir you to pray, both for your own benefit, experiencing the presence of God, but also for the city and, uh, and for the nations and uh, and so uh, we're working with uh, Dennis and the staff here. The staff here is just incredible. You guys just have a, yeah, like just some incredible people. Um, anyway, we're helping set up the 24-7 prayer room here, uh, here at the church. And so if you don't know where that is, uh, we're back where the offices are. There's an old conference room that's being converted uh, into that. And so we're just going to fill that place with the glory of God and cry out for the city and the nations and the people we know. And so uh, anyway, Dennis asked me to come and, and speak on prayer this morning. And uh, that's what I'm here to do. But before uh, I do that, I want to just share some stuff with you. Um, last year, uh, through a series of events, the Lord just leading us step by step is really uh, what it is. We felt uh, the Lord beginning to lead us and asking us to be a part of his work here. Uh, is work in the Middle East. And so we're like, okay, well, what all does that mean? And, and we begin to uh, pray that through. And uh, my wife took a trip to the Middle East and she began uh, making some connections with some indigenous people there. And then the Lord led us as a family to, uh, to travel over there as well. And while we were there, uh, the second time we were, in, uh, we were in Jordan, and God just began to break our hearts for uh, for the people there, and it became clear that God was um, asking us to do some things there that wasn't necessarily always there. It was it was here, and so it, and he was saying, "I really want you to begin to stand in the gap for Arab people, and I because I love them and I want to bring them into my kingdom." And so uh, we we started praying for that, and so uh, I say, "Okay, Lord, well we have assignment to pray, but we also feel like the Lord's asked us to be a voice." to uh, the, the church here in Wichita to, to remember to, to pray for uh, not only the believers who are persecuted in those countries or, or even not so persecuted, but they're afraid, and, and so, but also for people to come to faith. And so just to be that voice. And so um, because God really does want uh, the, the church that's persecuted to become one with the church that's here as comfort here in the West. And, um, and, and sometimes for much of my life, um, you know, maybe you think this way sometimes, it's easy to separate us, doesn't it? Like the church over there that faces hardship and the church that's here this morning in this room are, are different things. But, you know, Dennis is very clear. He says it all the time. He says there is only one church. And we have to begin to recognize, okay, we have brothers and sisters who are getting uh, persecuted for their faith. They're facing uh, death all day long. And, uh, and so uh, I'm not going to spend my morning, the Lord, about the Middle East, but I, I am going to talk about prayer this morning. But I would not be doing my duty, I feel like, in the Lord if I didn't uh, begin to just kind of perk our eyes and ears again to, to the Middle East and, and the fact that Jesus really does love Muslim people. He just loves them dearly, and he longs to bring them out of Ishmael and into Isaac and because uh, he's just redeeming them in unprecedented ways. And so, um, and I just want to encourage us to not let fear and not let things we see on the news and not let other things be the driving force for how we think about that region or that land. Uh, but again, again, okay, through the lens of Christ, I'm going to look at that 
look at those nations and look at those people. And I'm going to choose to love them. I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to care for them. And so, because Jesus really is deserving of an inheritance, isn't he? From every single person in the world, every single nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people group, every nation. It says he's worthy in Revelation uh, for those things. And so I just want to share one quick story uh, about our prayer time uh, in, in praying for the Middle East. And then I, uh, and then I actually just want to take, you know, a minute to pray for the Middle East. And then I want to share some things uh, about prayer. So uh, real quick, the story. Uh, there's a man my wife and I met while we were uh, over in Lebanon, and uh, I'm not going to tell you his name, uh, but he's a Syrian refugee and uh, and a believer uh, living in the city there, and he and he's he's living there, but he still has much of his family in Damascus, Syria, uh, where where it's much more uh, crazy to live. And so our relationship with him has just grown. We we just really connect with him, and and so even though we're not there, um, man, technology just allows us to video call like through Skype and and we're able to just connect uh, often uh, with him and and so we just kind of talk and we talk about things that we're praying for and all these things and one day he just shoots us uh, a message and he says hey um, I really need you to begin to pray because ISIS has come into Damascus and they've cut off the water supply uh, to the people there and they're not able to have uh, clean drinking water uh, and so uh, would you pray? My family is there and they don't have water. And so we're like, yeah, we'll pray. And, and so it had probably been about a week or so uh, without water before, before he told us that. And so they, they've been going for a while. And so anyway, my wife and I, we host a, a time in our home on Thursday nights to just, just really uh, intercede for the Middle East. And one night uh, we felt the Lord just saying, I really want you to, like Isaiah says, streams in the desert and, you know, and the rivers would come. And, and so we just for these things and, and so it's evening here uh, but it's eight hours ahead there so it's they're about to wake up and uh, that same day he wasn't aware we were praying that evening before but he just he just sends us a message um, and he says uh, hey I just want to say thank you for praying water into Damascus they have water today I mean that's like a pretty crazy deal isn't it like the, our prayers could affect the fact that they had no water and now they have water and, and, and I just share that with you to not only just stir your faith and encourage your hearts to love uh, the Middle East, but, um, man, the prayer of the righteous availeth much, right? And so uh, I, let's just do that this morning. Let's just pray and intercede for uh, the Middle East, and then, uh, and then I want to share something. So, Heavenly Father, we just come to you uh, lifting up our brothers and sisters in a hostile part of the world. And we ask you to bring them your great comfort. We ask you to bring them your boldness, as Paul always asked for. That they would be brave to speak the gospel in a place where it's illegal. Because they recognize how much they're loved by you. And that they would go out and love well. And speak the best news on the planet. Father, we pray for the underground church to continue to be unnoticed, that they can continue to meet together and, uh, and be in the scriptures together. We lift, up, we lift up Egypt as and many have been, been shot at and, and many have been killed. Father, we just ask you as before, you would help them forgive. 
and you would help them love their persecutors and that it would overwhelm the persecutors. God, you would bring such conviction on those men who shot at that bus that they would, they would not know what to do with themselves and that you would meet them there and you would bring repentance to them. And Father, we just ask you for every, every Muslim person as they go into Ramadan this week or this month and they begin to fast and they begin to cry out to a false God, we ask you, God, to interject that with your glory and grace. And we ask you, God, to bring unprecedented numbers to faith over this next month. And that you would, as they're hyped up and they're excited, God, that even there would be less or an even, God, we just even just ask for zero persecution over the next month to take place towards believers. And we just cry out for you because you are a good God and you care about your church and you care about people who are lost. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to spend the rest of the morning praying. <laughs> I'm fired up. Um, as I said today, I, want to, I do want to talk about prayer, and, um, but you really can't talk about prayer without talking about God because uh, it's easy to think that while we pray, and even what we just pray, I believe that did something, but it's not because we prayed or we said the right words. Um, uh, there, there's not power in the prayer. There's power in the God we pray to. Um, Psalm 34, 17 says the righteous, it's not on your screen, but it says the righteous cry and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their trouble. And so our job is to cry out and it's God's job to bring deliverance. And so to be honest with you though, um, last week, if you were here last week, Dennis said, how many of you guys like to pray? Raise your hand. And then how many of you guys find it really hard to pray? I'm, I'm the guy that finds it really hard to pray. It's, it's, I'm continually distracted. Maybe that's true of you too, but um, man, just when I recognize, though, that the Lord hears and the Lord longs to do things, it brings me a place where I'm, I, I'm willing to pray. I love it, but I'm willing. And uh, Isaiah 62 says, I've set watchmen all the day and all the night there to never be silent. So give me no rest, God says, and take no rest. Isn't that something? As if God would grow weary. But he says, don't put me in remembrance and give me no rest. And so uh, just as a picture of, of Isaiah 62, the Lord showed me a picture of an old, uh, old water pump. Remember those ones you had to pump uh, to get the water to, to, to come out of the thing? And, and he says, this is what prayer is like. Prayer is like this pump. If you are willing to cry out to me, and, and, and I will pour out my spirit on the earth. I will do things that you've never seen before. I will bring people into my kingdom. And, uh, but if you don't pray, it doesn't happen. Now, again, God's not limited to our effort, whether we do or don't. He can do as he pleases. But he works in partnership with man, doesn't he? And he says, give me no rest. Take no rest. And so if we want the spirit of God to move on this earth, well, then in partnership, he's saying, I want you to cry out all the day, all the night. Bring it forward and, and cry out to me. And God just does something. Again, it's so great because we don't have to, it's not on us, <laughs> uh, except for the fact that he's asking us to come be in partnership with him in bringing this done. And so God just did this. He says, I want you to be a part of it. 
And when we're born again, when we, we said, God, I surrender my life to you, we became, Scripture says, in Christ. In Christ, we became saved and we became reconciled to God. And then in that, he does this crazy work of transformation. He says, now as reconciled, I want you to go bring the ministry of reconciliation on the earth. And prayer is a big part of that. Prayer is the frontline part of the spiritual warfare. Yes, we need people sharing the gospel. Yes, we need to be making disciples. Scripture commands it. But prayer is the fuel to all it's the thing that gets these things done. And it's not reserved for a few. It's for all of us. 1 Peter 2.9 uh, says, I think we have that on the screen. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into, into his marvelous light. Because get that word. We're a royal priesthood. There's identity in this verse of who we are, and, and it's for all of us, every single one of us. And so if we're going to pray for hearts to be changed or situations to become different, then we need to understand that God has made us to be something, a royal priesthood, and, and this is what he's done for us. We did not become royal. We did not become priests. Oh, how we needed him. And he did this for us in his love for us. Royal priests are both kings and priests. Uh, what is it? Revelation 5.10 says he made us to be priests and kings uh, to our God. And so we're royal in that we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. Sons and daughters of the living God who have authority and permission to use the name of Jesus. And priests because we have access to the throne of grace and can intercede before God. Because Jesus, our great high priest, he made atonement for our sins. And now we have this unlimited access, unlimited access to the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 14, or uh, 4, 16, it says, uh, let us then draw near to the throne of grace with confidence, with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace and our help in time of need. And so as royal priests, we have this authority in Jesus and we have this access through Jesus. Authority and access. As Kathy uh, said a few weeks ago when she was sharing, she said, when we pray like this, the atmosphere shifts. There's a shift in the atmosphere. Our hearts and minds are shifted when we're in his presence. And there can be a shift in the atmosphere for others when we appeal to God on their behalf to encounter his presence. And so in light of this, I just want to share a story from Scripture um, that I think paints a picture of the dynamics of the royal priesthood, the authority and access we've been given. And it's from the story of Esther. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, I'm going to summarize a bunch of it because the whole story is the whole book. Holy Spirit, um, even though Esther is in Old Testament uh, period, the Holy Spirit it hasn't dwelled inside of people yet. This story, though, it clearly shows God's gracious hand to work through someone who has royal position, the Queen Esther, who humbles herself and utilizes this position of authority to go before the king and stand in the gap uh, before the people. And so, again, this is so long, I'm just going to summarize it. Maybe you need a refreshment anyway, uh, but let me, let me just go for it here. There's this Persian king named Ahasuerus, uh, and some of, uh, some of you may know him as Xerxes, um, but he had a queen named Vashti, and, uh, and he's been throwing a party for a while. And uh, one night after this great week of feasting and celebration and drinking at this party, everybody's had a little too much to drink, 
uh, including the king, and he asks his, uh, his queen Vashti, to, hey, come on in to the party and just show off your beauty to everybody. And she's like, no, I'm not going to be made a spectacle. And so in his drunken temper, he removes her as queen. And it's not too long after he regrets that decision, uh, but then he's like, I'm going to find a new queen. I'm going to look for a new queen. And he, and he requests all the unmarried women to be gathered in uh, to, the, to, the, to the king's palace uh, so he can find a woman to replace her. And so beautiful Esther, she's a Jew, but she's been gathered in uh, with everyone as the young women, as this potential queen. And it's Esther who eventually ends up winning the favor of the king and is the new queen in place of Vashti. And so as this story of Esther begins to unfold, uh, a man named Mordecai is also coming in. Since we're no more. And Mordecai raised Esther as his own daughter uh, because her parents were no more. And, uh, and, and so he takes her in and raises her up. And, and so he's got quite a bit of interest in Esther uh, at this time. As, as it's really uncertain. Um, but he had the access to do this because he was the gatekeeper in the courtyard of the king and uh, where, where Esther was, was brought in. And so... At the same time, though, there's this the story unfolds. There's this uh, Mordecai, he's out on duty at the gate, and he overhears the plot of two of the king's servants who really want to harm the king. They said, hey, we're going to lay hands on the king, and we're going to hurt him. And, uh, and he hears this, and doing the right thing, he reports what he's heard, and he, and he actually saves the king's life. Um, and so even though he saves the king's life, Mordecai, uh, that, the deed goes unnoticed. Nobody pays attention uh, really to what he did other than uh, it being recorded as what he did. And, uh, but in fact, uh, not only is he not re- rewarded, things begin to be get really bad for him when a, uh, a new man rises to power named Haman. He rises as the prime minister uh, under the king, and things become difficult for Mordecai uh, because Haman says, every time I walk into the courtyard, I want everybody to bow down and pay homage to me. And, uh, and that's where uh, Mordecai worked. And obviously he's like, I'm not going to bow down to anybody but the Lord. And so this angers Haman when he sees uh, Mordecai standing uh, day after day. And he decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get rid of that Mordecai because he's, uh, he's not bound down. In fact, I'm going to get rid of all the Jews because of him because other people might become disrespectful too. And then we have a problem on our hands. And so... Little does Haman know that this also includes Esther, the new queen. He just doesn't realize this. And so Mordecai's uh, refusal here has put him and all the Jewish people into great fear for their lives. Because um, to accomplish this good money, uh, Haman, is, he, what he did is he went in secret to the king and he paid him a bunch of money saying, hey, I really want you to issue this decree that can go out and everybody can read it so on a certain day in the future, uh, all the people of the land can rise up and they can destroy all those Jews that are scattered around the land. And so he goes and he, and he does this and this is a decree that can't be reversed. It can't be taken back. And so this kind of summarizes the first three chapters, which brings us to chapter four that I want to read. Uh, It's when Mordecai, in light of all of this desperation, uh, Mordecai and all the Jews are in sackcloth and ashes, uh, mourning this coming day when they'll all be annihilated. And Esther 
uh, finds out, and, uh, and then she calls the people to corporately humble themselves and fast for God to move on their behalf. So let me read some of chapter 4 here. It says, Then Esther's maidens and all her eunuchs came and told her, uh, told her about all the mourning that's going on. And the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him. But he didn't accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn why this was and, or what this was and why it was. And so Hathak went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay the king's treasury for the destruction of the Jews. And he also gave him a copy of the text of the edict which had been issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and inform her in order to, for her to go to the king and implore his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Hathak came back and replied, replied all these words of Mordecai to Esther. And then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's providences know that if any man, only one one who comes to the king in the inner court and they haven't been summoned there, there's only one law, be put to death, unless the king holds out to him this golden scepter and then they may live. And I haven't been summoned to come into the king for the next 30 days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. Mordecai then replies to Esther, don't imagine that in the king's palace you can escape any more than the rest of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And then I'll go to the king, which is not according to the law, but if I perish, I perish. And so Esther is agreeing to stand in the gap for her people. And she knew it's going to take a whole lot more than her good looks that got her the queen uh, position to go into this and pull this off. Because her access is limited. It's limited. In fact, she can't even go for the next 30 days. Um, and the king is going to have to agree to let her in. But he may not let her in. She may die. And so it's going to take God moving on her behalf. And this is honestly Church, this is what makes prayer so powerful because prayer isn't dependent upon us. It's just not. It's on God's power. And this is why all of us can do it. If you remember, even in the early church, right, the people had been with Jesus. Jesus has taught them to pray. They've been with him. And in in Acts 12, Peter ends up in prison. And the church Here's that he's in prison, and they begin to pray, Lord, release Peter. And then Peter shows up at the door, and the church is like, that, that can't be Peter. That's not Peter. We don't believe that. I mean, that's just crazy, right? They lacked faith it even happened. And they had been with Jesus. Not dependent. And yet, it happened. 
It just shows that it's not dependent upon us. It's dependent upon the one who has the power. And so I just say that for whoever has failed in prayer. And you miss it and you wonder, God, do you even hear? Yeah, he hears. We just got to quit thinking, I got to pray long enough. I got to say all the right words. I got to get enough people together. No, the prayer offered in faith makes the sick person well. When we cry out to the God who's able, the God who's able moves and hears. And this is why we pray. We pray for God to do stuff that we can't do. Let me share you another story. Um, in the, there's a book called The Insanity of God uh, by Nick uh, Ripken. And in it, he tells stories uh, of his mission work around the world. And uh, early in ministry, he was just following the Lord. Okay, Lord, where do you want me? And he's in, uh, he, he ends up sneaking his way into Somalia a few times. And there's just great violence in Somalia. And uh, after being in Somalia, going in, going out, going in, going out, doing ministry as much as he can, he, he really only, there's only four disciples, you know, in the, in the whole place that he's, that he's come to know, that he's, that he's come to bring to the Lord, and just four. And, uh, and then one day he gets really uh, overwhelming news that um, all four of them have been murdered. And it just causes this just internal crisis inside of him uh, to seek, uh, have, is the resurrection what it really is? Does it have life in, in the resurrection? And he begins seeking out other people who are facing persecution uh, around the world and saying, is the cost worth it? Is following Jesus worth it? Because if this is what happens, is it worth it? And long story short, several years later, he ends up in China meeting with the underground church. He meets with some people. They drive him about 18 hours away, um, and, he, and he's brought into a place where the underground church is there, uh, and they begin to meet together. And while he's there, um, and again, the church has to move around from location to location for fear of being caught. And uh, one evening when he's brought in there, um, he begins talking with the church and just sharing uh, just different things with the church and um, and, uh, and they just ask him, Nick, has the gospel uh, of Jesus spread outside of China? Has it, has it made it outside of China? And if it has, are they faced with the same persecution that we are? And he tells them, uh, begins to tell them about Somalia and his experience uh, when those four believers uh, were, were brutally killed for their faith and as he shares uh, with them, just everybody's just fully silent. There's no talking, no wonder. He just wonders, maybe I, sh maybe I shouldn't have shared that. Maybe that's too overwhelming for them. And, uh, and he goes off to bed, and he wakes up uh, in the morning, and he just hears loud voices everywhere, and he, and he immediately panics, like, oh, man, we stayed here too long. They found us. And he goes out and he, and he tries to figure out what's going on. And all he does is see all the people that he was talking to on their knees crying out. And, and he asks his interpreter, he says, hey, what's going on? What's going on? Tell me what's going on. And his interpreter just says, just listen. And again, this is in Chinese, so he can't really hear what they're saying. But every few words, they're saying Somalia. Somalia. And the interpreter says, 
that the people were so wrecked about the persecution in Somalia that they've agreed to get up an hour early every day for the rest of their lives until Jesus gets glory in Somalia. I mean, this is a church that's helpless themselves, right? They're, they're facing persecution themselves, but they knew Jesus was worthy and God is able. And so they prayed and they stood with Somalia. And I'm telling you, Jesus hasn't got his glory in Somalia, so they're still praying. Have the royal priesthood. This is the royal priesthood. It's they, that church there in China had authority in Jesus and access to God through Jesus. And they interceded for people they've never met, yet they loved them. And this is how we too should pray. Not only for the nations, but for our children, for our parents or spouses who don't know the Lord, uh, for the lost, the broken, our city. There's no limit on what we can pray for. There's so much need. Heaven and earth are still divided. We want heaven to come. Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, he says. And let me just tell you, right now, in 2017, right? Just the other day, my phone is telling me in Egypt, some people shot at a bus at Believers. In re- practically real time, I can pray for situations in real time. But I mean, what a great day we live in that we can cry out for the church in real time. And so I just say, maybe he's a- made us alive today in some of the greatest days in history that the fame of his glory might spread to all the earth. And therefore, we should consider Mordecai's words for us. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. And who knows whether you haven't attained this kingdom for such a time as this. Both in Romans and Hebrews, uh, the scripture says, Jesus, he's in heaven making intercession for us. He's standing in the gap as the great high priest who lives forever. And likewise, he says, in partnership with me now, I call you to make prayers of intercession. As a priesthood who doesn't disregard the access that you've been given, and to come to the throne of grace often. Come to it. There is no limit to how many times you can come in. Right? Like Esther, we can come before our king, uh, except in our case, it's the living God. And every single time, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear of God not holding out. He says, golden scepter to us. Christ is the golden scepter that's holding out to us. And he always holds it out. He says, come. And we can cry out day and night, night and day. God, bring your kingdom on earth that is is in heaven. So let me wrap up the rest of Esther here. I don't know how Dennis does it. I cover books of the Bible. (laughs) Um, Chapter 6, we see God begin to honor the hearts of the Jews who have been mourning and fasting. And, And during their days of fasting, this is what happened. One night, the king just so happened to be restless and couldn't sleep. And it just so happened that he said, hey, bring me the book of good deeds and just read it to me. And it just so happened that the pages that were read to him 
were about Mordecai who overheard the plot to kill his life and how he saved him. And the king goes, what did we do for that guy? And he calls in Haman, his prime minister, and he said, hey, I feel like honoring somebody. Who should, how, should I, how should the king honor somebody? You need to do And Haman, thinking it's himself, you know, looking inwardly, he's like, well, you need to do all this great stuff. You need to clothe him in the robes. You need to walk him through the streets and says, the king honors this guy. And so he says, great, you take Mordecai, walk him through the streets and honor him. And so rather than being killed by Haman, the decision of the king to honor Mordecai forces him to walk Mordecai through the streets in royal robes. And God is just bringing justice in this moment. And Esther, as she goes in before the king, she's, he holds out the golden scepter. He lets her come in and she begins to make a request. She says, I'm going to have a banquet. I want you to come. And she begins, after the course of those banquets, she says, hey, this, my people are in danger. And Haman's responsible for it. And the king takes and he reverses the whole thing. And Mordecai is, uh, uh, or Haman is publicly removed in the same way he was going to destroy Mordecai. And then Mordecai is given the prime minister position that Haman once had. The problem is, because Haman went in and he, and he paid the king money, he said, I want to issue an irreversible decree that on this day, all the people can rise up and still destroy the Jews. And it can't be reversed. And so they go to the king and they say, hey, issue a new decree that the Jews that day can defend themselves. And he says, Okay. I'll do that. And they go and they spread that news that they can defend themselves. And it made room again for God to fight for his people. And so listen to this incredible verse at the end of the book of Esther in chapter 9. Esther 9, 1 through 2. It says, Now in the twelfth month, on the thirteenth day, the king's command and edict were to be executed. On the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them. Listen to this. It was turned to the contrary so that the Jews themselves gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities throughout the providences of the king of Ahasuerus to lay, on the, lay hands on those who sought their harm, but no one could stand before them for the dread of them had fallen on all the people. Isn't that something? God caused the opposite to happen. What was irreversible became reversed in God. His authority trumped man's authority. And in our lives today, God can come full thing. He can do the same thing. At the cross, what was meant for evil, right? They meant to kill Jesus and get rid of him and stop this. And God overturned. He turned it to the contrary and he raised Jesus from the dead, triumphing over sin and death. He reversed the curse on the planet and he set us free. Paul said, where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Jesus is the king of a kingdom that supersedes all other kingdoms. Of the increase of his government and peace, Scripture says there will be no end. 
And that is the authority of Christ that we call upon when we pray. The superseding authority. And so let's just choose, church, whether it's in the 24-7 prayer or not, let's be a people of prayer who stand in the gap for those who are sick, for those who are lost, for those who are broken, those who are facing persecution, those of us in this room are just facing uncertainty. The curse on the planet has been reversed. It's been reversed. And one day soon it's coming to a complete end when Jesus returns. And we pray to that end. Until then, we have still have the authority of Christ and we have the access of Christ into God's throne room. So let's pray. In fact, what I want to do right now, I'm going to pray. I feel like God wants to release the Esters. Those who are willing to stand in the gap. And here's the thing. Right? And so if you feel like God say, yes, be a person of prayer. Cry out for me, the things of my heart. As I pray, I just want you to stand up. And here's the thing. We all, right, all the Jews fasted with Esther when she did that. that everyone stood together. All of us can come before, whether we stink at prayer or not. And I know, I'm telling you, I stink at prayer. And so what I want to do, you're going to stand up. And I know you got altar counselors here. They can gather around too, but... The rest of us, we, don't, we can all participate. And so let's lay hands on those who say, yes, God, give me the heart to cry out night and day. All right? So let me pray, and then we'll worship, and, uh, and we'll just do that. And so I know that's different than the way you normally do it, but sorry. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we... We are your people. And you said, if my people we're called by my name we'll pray stand in the gap you will do great and mighty things you will hear from heaven and so God we just ask you even now by your Holy Spirit release the Esters release the royal priesthood in fact I just ask you to activate it in every single one of us let us know our identity that in Christ in Christ, we have royal position seated in the heavenlies. We can have your heart. We have full access to you. And so God, let us not waste it. Let us recognize that for such a time as this, get your glory in the earth. Holy Spirit, move among us. We're going to worship, acknowledge God as the Father. Sorry. Thank you, gentlemen. And as, uh, just as you feel that, just pray for them. Stand up right where you are. And if somebody stands up next to you and you're not standing, pray for the people next to you. Let's release the power of God that we get. He gets the glories due and that he would create an atmosphere where there's 24-7 over the city. Amen.